Hello and welcome everyone. It is really wonderful to be with you today and I want to welcome you to the final installment of our confinement refinement series. And today we're going to be talking about community. We're going to be talking about community as it exists under lockdown. And community is a word that has so many nuances. It has so many emotions associated with it today. It's a concept that I would say is central to us as a Christian community. It's an idea that defines us. It's a principle that describes us. And in some ways, it's very much about who we are. And I'm sure that during this strange and unusual time, you, like me, have had different experiences of it. Some of those experiences have probably been positive, and some of those experiences have been difficult and negative. And we heard a little bit about that from the guys who shared earlier. So I want to say thank you to you, those of you who shared. It was really, really fantastic. But community is at the heart of who we are as a Christian people. And right now, it seems like the Christian value that is most under threat. And so in our final installment today, we're going to talk a bit about community under lockdown. And we're going to see how the scriptures can guide us through this difficult time. And so the first thing we need to do when we speak about community is make sure that we're thinking about community in the right way. Because this word has had different meanings over time. And in the distant past... Community was a word that tended to describe a group of people with a shared geographic location. In other words, the community of people by the lake. Or as I've encountered it more recently, we can talk about the homeless community in Musenberg. But what has happened is marketers have gotten a hold of this term in more recent years and community has become a bit of a branding buzzword. It can describe anything from a brand's Facebook page or Twitter following to a group of regulars at a local pub. What is interesting to notice is that our English word community doesn't really occur in any of the more literal translations of the Bible that we have. And so we have to find the descriptions of community in the scripture and see how our word community can be molded to what the Bible talks about as community. So I want to offer you today a definition of community that I found written by a guy called Fabian Fortmuller. I hope I said that right. I think he's from Sweden. And he says this, he says, community is a group of people that care about each other and feel like they belong together. Community is a group of people that care about each other and feel that they belong together. And I think this description of community is pretty close to what we see in the biblical picture of community. There are four clear characteristics in this idea of community. And he starts like this. He says, community is a defined group. It, it exists, it is known and it is an identifiable group identity. The people inside the group know that they are in the group. The second thing is that it is actually, it's made up of a group of people. It's comprised of actual people that exist and live in reality. It's not just something that exists on the internet somewhere, right? But communities are comprised of actual people. Community is underpinned by mutual, genuine relationships. In other words, people in community genuinely care about each other. Community then finally includes a physical proximity. It's about actually being together. That's part of community. And I believe that this idea connects the pictures of community that we find in Scripture. And so I want to share just four Scriptures with you briefly that talk about community and, and speak about the value that community has. And this is not going to be new for us, right? But let's just re-emphasize for us the importance of community. 
In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone, and so I will make a helper suitable for him. The idea is God designed us to be together. He designed us to exist together, to live together. Man exists for community. On the other side of the scripture, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Peter writes and he says, I need you guys to know that you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We have a corporate identity. It is a group identity that applies to us as Christians. Our community also cares for one another. Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. He says, carry one another's burdens because in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Real Christian community genuinely cares about and for one another. It's what we do. And finally, I think we can't, we can't but speak about this description in Hebrews chapter 10, where the author writes in verses 24 and 25, and he says, let us not... Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Right? Our communities gather together. We, we shouldn't neglect gathering together. We need to come together to encourage and to strengthen one another in our shared faith. Right. Now, these are not new ideas, but right now, they have been curtailed. I mean, let's face facts. We are frustrated because all of us are living with a community deficiency and we know it. We know it, right? We know that whilst there are many good things and many good spin-offs that have come as a result of this, the closeness, the physical intimacy of being together with other people is vitally missing. It feels like our community has been cut off at the knees. It feels like we cannot live out the community that God designed us for, that we have, that what we have is certainly less than what God intended. And so how are we supposed to not give up meeting together if that's the very thing that at the moment we're not allowed to do? How can we remain a community if we're never able to be together? Are we, perhaps, by not meeting together, actually being disobedient to the call of God to the church? Are we as a church failing to fulfill our God-given mandates? How are we ministering to the sick, the hurting, the depressed? How are we reaching the people of our community if we're not allowed to leave our homes? These are some of the questions that we as Christians are beginning to wrestle with and that are becoming louder and louder as lockdown carries on. Several times over the last week, myself as a pastor, I've been forwarded by different people, different messages, recording sermons from other pastors, other people who have been calling for a boycott of the lockdown in their area, whether it's been in Cape Town or in other areas. They've been calling for the church and to be declared an essential service. They've been asking people to sign petitions to declare the church an essential service because they're wrestling with questions like those. Because they're asking the question, can we as a church genuinely be effective if we're not able to be together? Can the church function without community? What do we do about this? 
Because we're all feeling it. We're all wrestling with it. How do we answer these questions? How should we be responding as Christians? And can real community, genuine community exist under lockdown? I think these are really important questions. I think they're questions that are close to our hearts. And they're questions that I've been wrestling with over the last couple of weeks. And as I was asking God how I needed to address them, I felt God lead me to the scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapters 2 and 3. And we're going to read that together in a moment. But before we do, there's a background to the Thessalonian church that is quite interesting and quite important. And it's in Acts chapter 17. I'd love to encourage you, go there, read it, check it out. It's really, really great. Paul establishes the Thessalonian church on his second missionary journey. Right? He's just been called across to Macedonia and he begins to make his way there and he gets along to Thessalonica. And he's there for three weeks. And after three weeks, the Jews create a mob and this mob forms and mobilizes against him. And they invade one of the new believers' homes. They invade Jason's home and they're looking for Paul, but they can't find Paul. So they just grab everyone in the home. They drag them off to the magistrate and the magistrate throws them into prison. And so that evening, Paul and the believers decide that, that he needs to escape by cover of darkness. And so off he goes. And he goes off to, to Berea, and then he leaves Timothy and Silas in Berea, and he carries on to Corinth. And in, and in Corinth, he stays there for a year and a half. And during that time, he writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians. He writes it after Timothy has come back to him because he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how they were doing. And when Timothy comes back, he then writes them this letter. And so let's read 1 Thessalonians together from, from chapters 2 and 3. We're going to read from chapter 2 uh, at the end of verse 7, verse 7b, if you will, through until the end of chapter 3. All right, and Paul writes this. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship as we work night and day in order not to burden you or anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives that are worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, and this was in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Isn't it you? You are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept on telling you that you would be persecuted. And it turned that out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just come from 
come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you have always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may God and may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God and our God and Father. And when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with his holy ones. Lord, we thank you for your word. And I ask that you would encourage us through it as we hear it today. Amen. So before we apply this text to our situation, I want us to pause and consider how the situation that Paul describes here is similar. It's not the same, but it is similar to the one that we're in now. I want you to think back to the background. And you'll remember in the, in the story of Paul in the Thessalonian church, there was an external situation that caused Paul to be separated from the believers in Thessalonica. Right? There was a mob that tried to lynch him and instead grabbed others. And so he chose to leave because of a concern of a mutual danger. It was dangerous for him to remain and it was dangerous for the other believers because of his presence. And so, and both Paul and the Thessalonians, I want you to notice, were desperate to be reunited together. Paul says this so often. He says, we loved you so much. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. And when we could stand it no more, I sent Timothy because I just had to know. And, And you long to see us, he says, just as we long to see you. But they were prevented from going. And in Paul's case, he says it was directly the result of Satan's intervention. I'd be careful about making that direct comparison to us today. But both then and today, there was an external force that divided and separated the intended community that both parties wanted. Finally, I want you to consider how concerned Paul was for their faith. He planted a church and he'd had three weeks to disciple it before he had to go. And then he had to leave them to survive on their own among the wolves, among the the Jews that were seeking to destroy the church. Our situation is not the same as theirs, but there are significant similarities. And I believe it's through those similarities that God wants to encourage us today. I'm sorry about that. I should have muted my PC. So, Lord, I pray that you will continue to illuminate your word for us. And that you will encourage us through it so that we may be the church that you desire even under lockdown. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So as we look and consider the text that's before us today, there are four lessons that I feel we need to draw out of the text. And I believe God wants to encourage us with these things, but I think he also might want to challenge us in one or two places. And the first lesson comes from Paul. 
As the church planter, Paul's primary concern was to disciple the new community into a living and active faith. That's what he wanted to do. He'd sown the gospel, and now he wants to see these believers become mature in the faith and continue to be a part of the mission of God and spread the kingdom in the world. And having been separated from them after only three weeks, you can see the anguish that he is in and the desire that he has to be with them and to see that goal through. And so I want you to notice something. When Paul sends Timothy in his stead, what he is doing is he is finding another way, an alternate method to fulfill the goal of discipling the Thessalonians. That's the first lesson. Paul found an alternate method to complete the discipleship that he was in. Gathering together in a church or in small groups is the way we are used to being discipled. And it's the way we expect others to be discipled. When we invite people to church, if we've just met someone who's just become a Christian, we say, hey, why don't you come with me to church? Hey, why don't you come along to life group? That's kind of what we think. That's our default space. If we've just had the privilege of leading someone to the Lord, our next step tends to be, hey, come along with me to church. Hey, come along with me to life group. In Thessalonica, Paul found himself in a situation where he was no longer able to disciple the church as he normally would. He was prevented from using his normal and preferred method. In other words, being there in person. And so he did something significant. He improvised. He improvised. He chose to send Timothy instead because he knew if he went himself, he would create a ruckus and create danger. Timothy probably didn't have the same rep, so he could send Timothy in instead. Friends, we exist in lockdown today and we are called to improvise as well. And I thank God that we have technology, that we have the internet, and we have cell phones. And I, guys, I know, I know it is not the, it's not the same as being with someone in person. It's not the same as being able to be there face to face. But you know what? Timothy wasn't the same as Paul either. But God was able to work through him in the Thessalonians. And God is able to work through us as we use technology today. That's why you're listening to this sermon from the comfort of your own home. That's why many of you were able to attend Howard's Rooted course last Monday. As a leadership, we're constantly having conversations about how we can improvise, how we can continue to lead and to disciple the church that God has given us stewardship over. That's our job as leaders. But community is not a leadership job. Can I say that? Community is not a leadership job. Community is a church responsibility. And we are the church. You are the church. As you are sitting at home listening to this message, you are part of the church. And so I, I extend the question to you. I ask you, how are you as a member of the church improvising to maintain, strengthen and build community during this lockdown? How are you connecting with your neighbors? John and Shirley shared with us earlier about how they organized a neighborhood quiz and everyone had sat outside and they'd been able to foster relationships with their community. Glenda and I felt led of God to bake some brownies. Glenda did the baking. I wrote little notes for everyone and we put them into little bags and we went around. We knocked on our neighbor's doors because we're in a complex and we said, hey, we know lockdown is really, really rough and we wanted to brighten your day and we wanted to give you some brownies and I just want to let you know 
If you find yourself in a space that's really hard, give us a call, knock on our door, come, we'd love to pray with you. How are you connecting with your neighbors? How are you using technology? How are you being strategic with the technology that exists? How are you looking to build and, and maintain and to strengthen community using the technology that you have? Have you had previous relationships with people, discipling relationships? Are you continuing those? Are there people you need to be strategically connecting with? Do you need to be having some Zoom get-togethers, some virtual coffee sessions? How can your life group continue to meet? Maybe it's Zoom. Maybe it's a WhatsApp call. Maybe it's a text conversation. But how do you continue community when you're not able to be together? Maybe technology is really hard. And I get that. I get that. I've got parents who, uh, who I have to coach in technology all the time. And they're going to laugh as they listen to this. Right? And they're a blessing to me and I love them. But who are you calling on the phone? Who are you texting? Right? Who are you encouraging over WhatsApp? Who are you journeying with in the simple ways that you're able to do it? Who are you able to see through the window in the garden? Where are the opportunities that God is giving you to improvise, to build and to maintain and to strengthen the community that exists? I know it won't be the same as being there in person. But God can still be at work in someone else's life. Isn't that the point? Isn't that the point? That's the first lesson. All right, for the second lesson, we're going to flip perspectives. And because and, this lesson comes from the Thessalonians themselves. Right, this was the church that Paul planted, discipled for three weeks, and then was forced to leave. They're a church that desperately desired to be led and to be discipled by Paul. And yet it's a church that gets a glowing review at the beginning of this letter. We're going to look at that in a moment. Right? But after leaving them, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they go to Berea. And then Paul leaves Silas and Timothy in Berea and he goes to Athens. And after spending some time in Athens, he moves on to Corinth. And he stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. And at some point during that time, we don't know when, Timothy and Silas return from Berea. And then sometime later, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. He just has to know what's going on with them. And all of that is to say that this baby Thessalonian church grew without spiritual oversight for several months. They were forced to grow without the luxury of leadership and ministries. All they had was the spoken gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Old Testament, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they thrived. And they thrived. If they were able to grow under those conditions with three weeks of input, what should we be able to do with the many years of discipling that most of us have received? That's where our second lesson lies. The Thessalonians teach us that we don't need the frills and the fuss of formal church ministry in order to grow our faith. Yeah, it helps. It's why we do it. It's part of why I have a job, which I really appreciate, by the way. But Paul deeply desires to remain with them, to go to them, to, in his own words, to supply what is still lacking in their faith because there was more that he could do. But he couldn't and he didn't and yet they still grew. Right now we have some ministry and there's a lot that's available. 
We have sermons, we have courses, we have life groups, although some some of those are harder to access for some people than others. And I, I hear that and I understand that. And yet we desperately miss being together. We really do. We, we want to be together with people. And I know that and that's good. And Paul desperately desired to be with the Thessalonians. And they desperately desired to have him back. But we can still be the church. We can still grow in the maturity of our faith. We can still be obedient to what God is calling us to. That's our second lesson. And I, to be honest, a real challenge. Will we continue to grow with all that we have, even if we can't be together? The Thessalonians did. Next lesson flows straight out of that second one. And it's something I found really encouraging as I examined and I looked at this text and the story. And it's this, it's that God is able to do in our absence what he would normally do through our presence. God is able to do in our absence what he would normally do through our presence. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 contains a summary of Timothy's report to Paul. Timothy goes, he visits the Thessalonian church, he comes back, he says, hey Paul, this is what's going on. And Paul writes to them and he says, it's amazing Your work is produced by faith. He says their labor is prompted by love. He says their endurance is inspired by the hope that they have in the Lord Jesus. He says they welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy that was given by the Holy Spirit. He says they became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He says the Lord's message rang out from them that their faith in God has become known everywhere. And that they turned to God from idols and they began to serve the living and the true God. It's a glowing review for a church that had to develop under persecution with so little instruction. And Paul wanted to be with them. He deeply desired to be a part of their community so that he could continue to teach and continue to disciple them in their newfound faith. But God was able to do in them in his absence what he would normally have done through Paul were he present. And so Paul is able to trust to God to complete that which God has started in him. And so he prays at the end of chapter 3. And I think this prayer is kind of the conclusion of Paul working through his own desire to be there and inability to make it. And so he prays and he says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy when our Lord Jesus comes. That's our third lesson. And in these unusual times, God is able to do in our absence what he would normally do through our presence. Finally, there's a last lesson that I believe we need to take away from the text today. And it's a little bit off the path from the first three, but I think it's really important and it's really significant. See, when Paul was with the Thessalonian church, he prepared them for hardship. We read about it in verses two to four of chapter three. 
Paul writes and he says, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For we know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. In the three weeks that Paul had to disciple these believers, it's really significant that he chose to prepare them for hardship. See, this is not typically a part of how churches disciple people today. And it's maybe something that we've missed. There are plenty of false prophets and plenty of prosperity teachers who are out there promising you that everything will go well in life. And if you've lived for a couple of years, you know that it's just not true. Life doesn't always go well. It's not always easy. But even in the evangelical church, we probably don't give this teaching the priority that Paul gave it to the Thessalonians. And then when we face a crisis like the one we're in now, it's easier for us to get thrown. It's easier for us to get lost. But Paul chose to emphasize the hard reality of life with the Thessalonian church. And it's a reality that I believe we need to take comfort in. Because it means that God is not surprised by this crisis. God is not surprised by hardship and trial, and his church is not disarmed by this crisis. But in fact, God has actually designed us as a church to function within crises and within trials, to be a light to the world, to be a hope for the nations. And that is the reality that we embody as his church in this moment that we are his church in an international trial. And this is where he designed us to function and to flourish. And that's really encouraging. God is able to use us to flourish in these times. So what are we to say as we bring this all together to a close? Are we as the church being disobedient to God because we can't physically be together? Does this lockdown prevent us from fulfilling our calling as the church of the living God? Are we unable to minister to the sick, the hurting and the depressed because we're unable to be physically together? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Does our heart ache to be with fellow believers again? Absolutely. Would it be better if we were able to be physically together? Of course. Is there a cost to being unable to be together? Without question. Can we still be the church? Can we still be a chosen people, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession? I believe we can. I believe we are. But we have to choose to adapt We have to choose to improvise. We have to choose to be intentional and we have to press into God. We have to search the Holy Spirit and ask him to lead us and to teach us and to guide us. And then friends, church, he will do in us in the absence of full community what he would normally do if we were able to be together. I really believe that. 
I really believe that God is able to be at work significantly through his church in this time, even if we can't be together like we normally would. I think if we if we look to God and we ask him to lead us and we choose to be intentional and we choose to improvise, we will see the spirit of God at work like we never have before. So let's close together in prayer. And after I do that, I want to let you know that normally when we have a service together, we would have a prayer team that's available and we always offer to pray for one another afterwards because that's who we are as a church and it's what we love to do. Right, and I want to say to you that we're going to improvise just like I've spoken about and we're going to have prayer ministry that's still available. And so as we close in prayer, there's a number that's on the screen now. If you would like someone to pray with you for whatever it might be, maybe your life is just really tough at the moment and you need someone to pray with you and to trust for God to come through. Maybe you're struggling with community. Maybe you're challenged. Maybe God is just working in you and you need a brother or sister in the Lord to pray with you. We've got a team of people who are available to do that. And so if you just call the church number that's on the screen, then Michelle will connect you with one of our prayer people. And we love to pray with you. So let's close together in prayer today and trust that God will use us as a church to be intentional, to be a church that continues to thrive in the midst of these hardships. Lord, I thank you that we're able to be together in this time. I thank you, God, that we are the church of the living God. I thank you, Lord, that you are at work and alive and well in your people today. And even though we can't be together, God, you can still be at work. And so I pray, Lord, that you would lead us, each and every one, to know how you want to be at work in us and through us to continue to build, to strengthen, and to maintain community, God, and to be a vessel through whom the kingdom of God is at work. And so, Lord, I pray that as a church we would shine and we would be an example in this time and that people would see the light of Jesus because of the way that we follow you as you lead us by the Spirit. And so we commit this into your hands in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us, everyone. I pray that you would have a blessed rest of the day whenever you happen to be watching this. And may God lead you, guide you, and bless you.